This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Straits Times' special coverage of Singapore's Budget 2022. I'm Harian Tudiman. Finance Minister Lawrence Wong delivering his first budget statement today, giving it the theme, Charting Our New Way Forward Together. We'll have all the highlights for you coming up, plus Olivia Quay and Associate Editor Vikram Khanna will be discussing and analysing what the budget means for you and your finances. But first, the key announcements. Minister Wong revealing the details and the timing of the planned increase in Singapore's goods and services tax rate. The first stage of the increase will take place on January 1st, 2023. That is when GST will go up to 8%. The second stage will take effect a year later. On January 1st, 2024, GST will go up to 9%. Now, this is in line with the plan first announced in 2018 that the goods and services tax would be raised from 7% to 9% sometime between 2021 and 2025. Our revenue needs are pressing. But I also understand the concerns that Singaporeans have about the GSD increase taking place at the same time as rising prices. Another key announcement today, the highest earners will have to pay more in personal income tax. Taxpayers' chargeable income in excess of $500,000 up to $1 million will be taxed at 23% while income in excess of a million will be taxed at 24%. This takes effect from the year of assessment 2024. And the government will again draw on past reserves, setting aside $6 billion to respond to the evolving COVID-19 situation. This brings the total expected draw on past reserves to $42.9 billion. That is less than the initial draw of $52 billion that was originally agreed for 2020. Now, let's take a closer look at the GST hike and how the goods and services tax has changed over the years. First introduced at a rate of 3% in 1994, it went up in two stages, to 5% in 2004. It then increased to 7% in 2007. And now the GST rate will again rise in two phases, by one percentage point at a time to 8% in 2023 and to 9% in 2024. I want to assure all Singaporeans that we will continue to implement the GSP in our unique Singaporean way with features and schemes that support the less well-off. I will continue to absorb GSP on publicly subsidised healthcare and education. I will provide town councils with an additional $15 million per year to absorb the additional GSP payable on service and conservancy charges. I will not increase government fees and charges for one year from January, 1st January 2023. This will apply to license fees as well as fees charged by government agencies for the provision of services. To cushion the impacts of the GST increase for all Singaporeans, Mr. Wong announced an additional top-up of $640 million to the $6 billion assurance package. This translates into significant payouts over the next five years. Every adult Singaporean will receive cash payouts totaling $700 to $1,600. Eligible seniors will receive a special GSDV cash seniors bonus totaling $600 to $900. 
eligible HDB households will receive additional USAFE rebates totaling $330 to $570 depending on flat type. All Singaporean children and seniors will receive Medisafe top-ups totaling $450. All Singaporean households will receive two tranches of CDC vouchers worth $200 each in 2023 and 2024. The vouchers can be used at all participating heartland merchants and hawkers, as well as major supermarkets. Now let's find out what the GST hike and the measures to help offset it mean for you, your family and your finances. Over to Olivia Quay, who is with Associate Editor Vikram Khanna. Thanks so much, Haryan. So, hello everyone. Associate Editor Vikram Khanna is with me. So, Vikram, this is the announcement that most of us have been waiting for. So, what are the pros and cons of implementing the GST hike in two stages, in 2023 first, then in 2024? Well, you know, in the run-up to the budget, uh, there are some business chambers and some economists who had asked for the GST hike to be postponed Mm -hmm. totally till 2025. And there were other economists who said it should be done in one shot two percentage points in one shot. It seems the government has taken a middle, the middle path and decided to go to do it in two stages as it did in 2023, as uh, 2003, right? When three to four and then four to five. Okay, on the pros and cons, I think the, the pros are that it, it gives people as well as businesses time to adjust, mm-hmm. more time to adjust to the higher costs that the GST hike will create, right? Um, another pro is that it, to some extent, cushions the impact of inflation, right? Which is relatively high at the moment. Although who knows, it might get even higher next year. But anyway, it cushions the impact one year at a time. Mm. The con, uh, is one is that it's administratively more complex. Okay. That means businesses have to make two adjustments to their GST systems. Yep. Um, and the second, of course, is that the revenue gains take longer to kick in, right? It, you have to wait two years for the full impact, full revenue impact of the GST. Mm. So that's that's broadly the pros and cons. Mm. Well, thanks for that. So at least, you know, there are some offsets. One of the components of the $6.6 billion assurance package is that over the next five years, Every Singaporean adult will receive cash payout totaling $700 to $1,600. Uh, and this is more than the payouts that we saw in 2007, which was the last time the GST was raised. To what extent, though, Vikram, will that take away the sting that Singaporeans will feel when it comes to this hike? Well, to a very great extent, it will. Um, first of all, the package from $6 billion has been enhanced by more than 10%, right? Uh, now, this will... Uh, cover five years worth of the GST increase for middle income and low income households. That is probably the majority of Singaporeans. And then uh, it'll, for, low, for lowest income households, it'll cover 10 years worth of the GST increase. So that's quite significant in and of itself. But on top of that, on top of that, we have the enhanced permanent GST voucher scheme. So that is, it it comes on top of that, and that will cover not just the incremental increase in the GST, but the entire GST for certain households, Mm. for certain low-income households. For example, 
with <clears throat> elderly elderly people, the entire GST will be covered, not just the increment. Mm. And for a lot of low-income households, at least half of the entire GST, the entire seven, uh, 9% will be covered. Mm. So you have those two elements. And so if you take them together, I think the sting will pretty much be taken out for the vast majority of Singaporeans. Well, that's good to hear, but won't the GST hike add to inflation and you know other cost pressures faced by businesses and Singaporeans? Yeah, um, so there's also a $560 million package for households, which includes, I think it's a doubling of the uh, GST U-save rebates. There's also CDC vouchers, $100 to defray sort of day-to-day uh, -day expenses. And for businesses, uh, there's the temporary bridging loan uh, to enable them to cope. Uh, there's also a trade loan that will be uh, risk shared by government. So both households and businesses get relief from the additional costs. Uh, for businesses, by the way, there's also um, enhancement of the Productivity Solutions Grant, which, uh, which provides pre-scoped uh, solutions uh, for businesses. Uh, and so there'll be subsidies for accounting uh, packages under the, P uh, the PSG. So businesses can avail of that as well. Mm. So there's relief uh, from cost pressures for both households and businesses. Right. Well, thanks so much, Vikram. Stay put. We will hear from Vikram in just a bit on the more progressive tax structure. For instance, the highest earners in Singapore will have to pay more in personal income tax from the year of assessment 2024. Resident taxpayers' chargeable income in excess of $500,000 to up to a million will be taxed at 23%. Income in excess of $1 million will be taxed at 24%. And this is up from the current 22% tax levied on income in excess of $320,000. Well, this increase in the top marginal personal income tax is expected to raise $170 million of additional tax revenue each year. Well, property tax is currently Singapore's principal means of taxing wealth. Property tax rates for both owner-occupied and non-owner-occupied residential properties will be raised in two steps, starting with the tax payable in 2023. Tax rates for owner-occupied homes with an annual value of in excess of $30,000 will be raised, ranging from 6 to 32%. This compares to 4 to 16% for such homes today. And tax rates for non-owner-occupied homes will be increased to 12% to 36%. The increase will be more significant for properties with a higher annual value. All right, Vikram, we have to get your take on this as well. Let's just talk about the property tax for now. To what extent will the higher property tax rates help to cool down the very hot property market? You know, I'm not sure about that because if you remember, it took 10 rounds of cooling measures from 2009 to get cool the property market, took 10 rounds of them. And this is not a capital gains tax or property gains tax. This is a higher property tax. So it's a tax on owning property, basically. Right. And I think, uh, and it's more focused on the high end. I think these, the high end owners of property can afford to pay this tax, but it will have obviously some, some impact, uh, especially at the high end. 
but I think we, if you want to really cool the property market, I think the much more powerful impact will come from higher interest rates. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, property tax, personal income tax, and there's also uh, a tax on luxury cars. So taking these different forms of taxation for the wealthy in totality, mm. Vikram, would it discourage foreign investors from coming to Singapore? And consequently, you know, will it make Singapore less competitive? Um, I don't think the tax regime ha will have much of an impact on Singapore's competitiveness. I mean, look at all the taxes. Look at the GST. It's still very low by global standards, even by Asian standards uh, for countries that have GST at 9%. The OECD average is 19 plus percent. Okay. Then um, the property tax is very targeted, basically at the high end. The uh, it's not it's not a, it doesn't apply to the majority of the population um corporate tax is moderate even with uh, it, it, sorry, it's already moderate at 17% headline rate and the effective corporate tax for a lot of smes is in the single digits mm -hmm. uh personal taxes despite the increase are still quite low and that's the 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 increase only applies to the it's a millionaire's tax basically right so it's not, it doesn't apply to most people. Yep. And in any case, most Singaporeans don't pay any income tax, mm. right? So I think what matters much more than tax is things like rule of law, safety, um, political stability, uh, predictable regulation. Uh, these, these, these are the things that really count for investors to invest in Singapore. I don't think tax issues are, are, are so, so important in their minds. Mm, all right. Well, thank you so much, Vikram. We'll be checking in with you very shortly. Another change to Singapore's tax system on the way, the carbon tax will be going up. From the current $5 per tonne, the carbon tax will be revised to $25 per tonne from 2024. And it will keep increasing in stages in the years after. More on that later. For now, it's over to Harianto. Thank you, Olivia. Now, taking a look at the big picture. The budget presented today includes revised revenue and expenditure projections for this financial year, as well as what is planned for the next financial year, which begins on April 1st. Looking at the bar on the far right, Singapore's total expenditure is set to hit $102.4 billion in FY22. Estimated to be $4 billion or 4.1% higher than in FY21. There has been a steady rise each year, driven in part by higher spending since the start of the pandemic in 2020. Now, here's how the estimated $102.4 billion will be divided up for the ministries in FY22. $49.2 billion will go to social development, of which healthcare is a key driver. 24.6 billion will go to economic development. 25 billion will be allocated for security and external relations. And 3.6 billion for government administration. To provide support with the looming GST hike and the rising cost of living, Mr. Wong says the assurance package will help the majority of Singaporean households cover at least five years of additional GST expenses. Lower income households will receive more Offsets will cover about 10 years of additional GST expenses. For example, take a middle-income family of four 
in a four-room flat with two school-going children and a household income of about $8,000 a month. They will receive a total of around $4,000 in benefit, around five times the additional GST they are expected to incur a year. If I were to choose a lower-income family, the benefits they receive will be larger, and the offsets will then cover more years of additional GSD expenses. Seniors will also get more benefits. Take the example of a retired couple in a three-room flat. They will receive even more support from the assurance package at around $6,800. This far exceeds 10 times the additional GSD they are expected to incur a year. Even with these offsets, some vulnerable households may require more support. These households with urgent needs can approach their citizens' consultative committees for assistance. And to further support vulnerable households, I will top up the CCC Comcare Fund by $5 million over five years. I will also provide a total of $12 million over four years to our self-help groups. In addition, all Singaporean households will receive $100 in CDC vouchers this year and $400 in CDC vouchers over 2023 and 2024. Singapore children aged 20 and below will also receive a $200 top-up to the Child Development Account, EduSave Account or Post-Secondary Education Account. Now, senior workers will continue to see their employer and employee CPF contribution rates go up next year. The basic retirement sum will also be raised. We will continue with the next step of increase in 2023 and provide employers with a similar offset. This means that workers aged 55 to 70 will see a total increase of 3 to 4 percentage points in their CPF contribution rates over these two years. Additionally, with rising standards of living, we will adjust the CPF Basic Retirement Sum, or BRS, to provide members with higher monthly CPF payouts in their retirement years. We will raise the BRS by 3.5% per year for the next five cohorts turning 55 from 2023 to 2027. There is no requirement for members to top up their CPF if they are unable to set aside their BRS. Those who set aside the BRS when they turn 55 in 2027 will receive payouts of close to $1,000 per month when they are 65, and these payouts will continue for the rest of their lives. This will give them greater assurance for their basic retirement needs. Adjustments will be made to foreign worker policies, namely changes in the minimum qualifying salary for employment pass and S-pass holders. As for work permit holders in the construction and process sectors, the dependency ratio ceiling will also be adjusted. Well, let's first look at the changes for employment pass holders. From September this year, the minimum qualifying salary for new applicants will be raised from the current $4,500 to $5,000. For the financial services sector, it will be raised from the current $5,000 to $5,500. For renewals, these changes will apply from September next year to give businesses enough time to adjust. For S-Pass holders, the minimum qualifying salary will be raised in phases. In the first step from September this year, the minimum qualifying salary for new applicants will go up from the current $2,500 to $3,000. Meanwhile, a higher minimum qualifying salary of $3,500 
for the financial services sector will be introduced. Thereafter, the salary criteria will be raised in September next year and again in September 2025. The specific values will be announced closer to the implementation date. Similar to EP, the changes for renewal applications will take effect a year later. And for work permit holders in the construction and process sectors, the dependency ratio ceiling will be reduced from the current one local worker to seven foreign workers to one local worker to five foreign workers. There will also be a new levy framework that will replace the current man-year entitlement framework to support more off-site work and employ more high-skilled work permit holders. All these changes will take effect from January 1st, 2024 to give companies time to prepare for the adjustments. The adjustments in our foreign worker policies apply mainly to the broad middle of the workforce. This is where we have Singaporeans doing the jobs, but we need to continually adjust our rules to ensure better complementarity between our foreign and local workforce. At the higher end of the workforce where there are acute skills shortages, we will continue to bring in professionals with the right abilities to be part of Team Singapore. Ultimately, our investments to develop stronger capabilities across our businesses and workforce reflect our mindset of continuous improvement. We must always strive to do better and achieve more. This will put us in good state to meet the challenges of the future. Now let's find out what the changes will mean for employers. Over to Olivia Kueh, who is with Associate Editor Vikram Khanna. Thanks again, Haryan. So, so Vikram, companies are still recovering from the pandemic. So is this the right time then for, for the government to make it hard, harder for companies to hire foreign workers? Well, Olivia, this is not anything new. Um, raising the qualifying salaries for EP holders as well as SPAS holders has been going on for several years and is going to keep going on through 2025 as we as we pointed out here. Um, now the important thing at this stage is that the changes are mainly focused on the middle end of the job market. It's not so much at the, the construction worker or process worker level. It's more the middle end. And the, the issue there is that the economy is digitizing. It's becoming more and more automated. So you do need higher levels of skill uh, f to work in manufacturing or even services. And so it, it, it makes sense to sort of have a higher qualifying salary. The other thing, of course, is that there's massive investment in reskilling uh, local workers uh redesigning jobs and all that so i think increasingly you will have more and more local workers being able to do the jobs that the middle level foreign workers can do uh but that said uh you know companies can still recruit remote foreign workers who work remotely that can still happen so it's not that they've been shut out and uh, also the government has said that it's going to be quite flexible uh, in its approach to labor policy generally and will welcome, at the high end, they will definitely welcome the professionals that companies need. Hmm. Um, to what extent then will these new foreign worker policies drive the longer term goal for, for of, of, of weaning companies off uh, foreign labor? 
Well, for one thing, there's the cost incentive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be more expensive to hire foreign workers, and that's going to continue. That's, uh, that's not stopping in 2022. So that's, they've said 2025, and they'll adjust it depending on the wage levels at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and secondly, I think there'll be, as more and more people get retrained, there'll be more uh, the pool of local workers who are qualified to do, do the jobs that foreign workers do. That pool will increase. So I think that, that will be the effect. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for weighing in on that. Harianto, it's back to you. Thank you, Olivia. Now, moving on to our green transition. Singapore had earlier planned to reach net zero emissions as soon as viable in the second half of the century. Mr Wong says advances in technology and new opportunities for international collaboration in areas like carbon markets has allowed Singapore to bring forward its net zero timeline to by or around mid-century. And to achieve this new net zero ambition, Mr. Wong says the higher carbon tax is needed. As previously stated, the current tax of $5 per tonne will remain unchanged until 2023. But from 2024 to 2025, this rate will go up to $25. And from 2026 to 2027, it will further increase to $45. And by 2030, the carbon tax rate will go up progressively from $50 to $80. We are mindful that firms in our emissions-intensive and trade-exposed sectors may face higher costs than those in countries with lower or no carbon tax. Some will need a little more time to make the necessary reduction in emissions or investment in cleaner technologies. So to support such firms and manage the near-term impact, on their competitiveness, we will put in place a transition framework. Such transition frameworks are found in many countries with carbon taxes. They provide existing companies with allowances for a share of their emissions. For our framework, the emissions, the allowances will be determined based on efficiency standards and decarbonization targets. This will help mitigate the impact on business costs while still encouraging decarbonization. We will continue to engage affected companies on the design of the framework prior to its implementation in 2024. Now to discuss this further, joining me from the heart of the newsroom is Assistant News Editor and Science and Environment Correspondent Audrey Tan. Audrey, help us understand first, uh, how can carbon tax help in achieving net zero emissions and how significant are these new tax rates? Hi, Harento. Thanks for the question. So in understanding the impact of uh, uh, carbon tax on Singapore's climate ambitions, it's first uh, worth understanding what is causing climate change. And that is, of course, greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide. And these are produced from human activities such as the burning of fossil fuels for energy. So by assigning a carbon tax, it essentially assigns a value to the cost of emitting these carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere. And when you assign a cost to the release of these gases, companies would be more mindful about emitting less, so they pay less tax. And that would, of course, be useful in keeping greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere and limiting global warming. So that is essentially how uh, a carbon tax works to furthering Singapore's climate ambitions. Um, in terms of your question on how significant those tax, uh, the tax rates are, um, it's first, I guess, I guess I can give a bit of background on that. So Singapore's carbon tax was first announced or was first implemented in 2019 with an initial rate of $5 per tonne of emissions from 2019 to 2023. 
when the tax was first announced, the government said that it would increase the tax rate to between $10 and $15 after the first five years. So the tax that was announced today is actually go above and beyond what this $10 to $15 increment that was set out earlier. So that is significant on that front. On the other hand, it's also worth noting what the global price carbon price system is like. The International Monetary Fund has said that um, for various economies, uh, has recommended that various eco economies implement a tiered carbon price uh, floor for depending on the status of the economy. So, and this is important in keeping global warming, limiting global warming to two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, the threshold set out under the Paris Agreement to avoid, avoid catastrophic climate change. So the IMF had recommended that for advanced economies, the carbon price floor should be about $100 for advanced economies and for emerging high-income uh, uh, countries, the price floor should be about US, uh, Singapore $67. So by 2030, Singapore intends for its carbon price to reach between $50 and $80. So that is really quite encouraging on that front. So Audrey, you know, that said, what support will be provided to businesses to help them cope with this increase in carbon tax rate? So based on the budget speech today, we can identify three areas that companies or large emitters, uh, the support they will be receiving. So one, the government has said that the carbon tax revenue will be funneled back into decarbonization efforts. So companies will be able to tap this pool of money um, through grants or funds to improve the energy efficiency, which will, of course, help to reduce their emissions. So that's one. Secondly, in 2024, uh, large emitters will also have the option of using carbon offsets to reduce their tax bill. So international carbon credits means that Singapore will not just have to focus on decarbonization efforts within our own borders, and they could offset up to 5% of their tax bill by buying a carbon credit from elsewhere. And that would be helpful for companies um, because sometimes a carbon credit sold in another country might be cheaper than our prevailing tax rate. So that is another way of trying to reduce their tax burden. But of course, this is only kept at 5%. So the, the, the price signal for them to decarbonize is still there. And lastly, the government also announced a transition framework to help um, trade exposed sectors. For example, the, our petrochemical sector is a huge emitter, but it's also very trade exposed and they might suffer from a loss of competitiveness if, let's say, our oil, oil refineries move to another country with no carbon tax. So the transition framework is meant to provide some allowances uh, that will not, that means they wouldn't have to pay a carbon tax rate for those allowances. So this will also kick in in 2024 and or also help companies in this green transition. Audrey, closer to home, households are not spared either. Um, Mr Wong you know, says the higher carbon tax rate will be felt mainly through higher utility bills. Uh, what sort of support will be given to help cushion the impact? So the estimates for how much household utility bills will go up is um, at a carbon price of $25 per tonne of emissions, the average household monthly utility bills for a four-room HDB flat will go up by about $4. The government said that they would increase the U-safe rebates available to these households, but there's no details yet and we can, we can expect more um, fleshed out next year ahead of the carbon price increase in 2024. Audrey, thank you for your inputs. Assistant News Editor and Science and Environment Correspondent, Audrey Tan. Now let's go back to Olivia to get final thoughts from Associate Editor Vikram Khanna. Olivia? That's right, I'm joined by Vikram Khanna one last time. So Vikram, what are your thoughts on the higher carbon tax? It's another announcement that we have been expecting today. Yeah, well, the announcement is pretty bold. I mean, there's a five-fold increase immediately in 2024. 
I know that looks, that seems very aggressive, and it is. Um, but let's also bear in mind that compared to other advanced economies, our carbon tax, even at $25 per ton of carbon emissions, is still quite low. The EU average is more than 40 US dollars per ton of carbon emitted. And you have countries like Sweden, at the, you know, the leader, who's at $137 US per ton of carbon emitted. So we're at 25 Singapore dollars. So now if you, if you look at these comparisons, uh, one of the conclusions you can draw is that their companies will be decarbonizing much faster than our companies. They have to pay a much higher carbon tax. So we have some catching up to do. And I think we should benchmark ourselves against the best. I mean, I, and I think the EU companies are the leaders in this field. That's number one. The second thing, of course, is that in order to sell to the EU, you might be subject to a carbon border adjustment tax. That means if you're selling carbon intensive products into the EU, you will be taxed. And so if our carbon tax is very low, a lot of the products that we sell into the EU might be subject to tax. So I think it's very good that the government has gone aggressive on this. I know it sounds like a lot. The five-fold increase sounds like a lot. But I think that's, that is the way to go. I think we should have a higher ambition. And if we want to be a green hub, uh, a green finance hub and a green carbon trading hub, we, uh, we should be ambitious about our carbon taxes. Mm, absolutely. Um, moving away from carbon tax and, you know, looking at today's budget statement as a whole and to wrap up today's show, where does today's, where do today's budget announcements position Singapore? You know, because there's talk of us, you know, finally emerging from the pandemic. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think, I think it's a very well-balanced budget. I mean, it has future readiness. It has inclusiveness. It has green of green push. Um, it has many elements. And I think it has reskilling. Mm -hmm. It has uh, protection for households, uh, especially the lower income groups. It has, uh, it attacks inequality by raising taxes on at the high end, both on income as well as on property. So if we can, uh, you know, if we can succeed, if we can succeed in reskilling, digitizing, and if we can raise the level of our SMEs, make them more innovative, uh, make them scale up and go global, if we can really succeed in becoming a sort of green hub uh, for finance uh, in the region, at least, and if we can become a more inclusive society, I think it'll be a huge plus for our competitiveness. I think there's a long way to go, but I think the direction has been set. Well, Vikram, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us. That was Associate Editor at The Straits Times, Vikram Khanna. Well, that's it from us today. Keep up to date with all the latest budget reactions and analysis at straitstimes.com. Look out for more budget specials online and in tomorrow's paper, as well as in-depth discussions and roundtables, including one moderated by Vikram himself on Monday. On behalf of the whole team, thank you for watching our Budget 2022 show. I'm Olivia Quay. Have a good weekend. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. 
Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.